You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. We believe at Cross and Crown that the Bible is God's word and to us in the, in the Bible, we'll, there we'll find um, words of life, hope, and love. And so let's hear God's word from Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 to 17 today. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea and on any tree. Then I saw another angel rising from the east who had the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed to harm the earth and the sea. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the seal. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites, 12,000 sealed from the tribes of Judah, 12,000 from the tribes of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribes of Gad, 12,000 from the tribes of Asher, 12,000 from the tribes of Napoli, 12,000 from the tribes of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribes of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribes of Levi, 12,000 from the tribes of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribes of Zabulon, 12,000 from the tribes of Joseph, 12,000 silk from the tribes of Benjamin. After this, I looked, and there was a vast magnitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face face down before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes? Or where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he told me, These are the ones coming out from the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. The ones seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb, who is at the centre of the throne, will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
You know, I remember uh, in 2018, uh, when I was inviting a lot of people to join this church plan, uh, there was one question that people kept asking. Adam, what do you want this church to look like in the future? What do you want this church to look like in the future? If you could fast forward to 2024, what would I see if I walked into this church when it's five years old? That's a hard question, isn't it? It's a bit like asking one of the expecting parents here, what do you want your son to look like when he's all grown up? And you can see the kind of almost father and almost mother, they're dreaming about what their kid might look like. You can hear the guy. It's always the guy. I want him to have my sense of humor. I'm a funny guy. He should be like me. Or I hope he gets your genes and is tall, but I don't want him to be short like me. Or... Oh, you better not have your nose. You know, what, what, what do you want this church to look like when it's all grown up? It's a great question, isn't it? And to be honest, I can't really remember what I said. I probably stumbled my way through some generic answer. Oh, you know, like a godly church reaching people. And that's true. But the truth is, all honesty, statute of limitations is over, full disclosure. At that time when people asked me that question, in my head, it was a monkey with two symbols. A screensaver that just ended with a blue screen of death. I didn't really know. Until I read this vision here in Revelation 7. Until I saw this picture of people from every tribe, every nation, every people, every language, gathered around the throne, worshipping Jesus as our king. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, yes, that, that's it. That's what I want us to look like when we're all grown up. A church where people from every tribe and nation are gathered around the throne worshipping Christ as king. It's, it's strange though when you think about it because this vision that we read here was seen and written by the Apostle John at the end of the first century AD. He wrote it from the island of Patmos, the, the Alcatraz of the Roman Empire at that time. And he wrote it to a persecuted church. He wanted to encourage them, hey, hold on. Despite all of your suffering, there will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. And over 2,000 years later, that vision that, that strengthened the persecuted church is the very same vision of what, Lord willing, cross and crown, we will one day be. Just imagine going up to God in prayer, asking him, God as a father, God, what do you want your children to look like when we're all grown up? And I suspect from Revelation 7, he might say something like this. Firstly, I want, I want them to be saved. I mean, most parents want their kids to be happy, don't they? But last week we saw that true happiness is found in the grace of God. True joy is found in being saved by God. Any parent of a child who doesn't walk with the Lord knows this, don't they? This is the, the deepest desire of our heart, that our son might be saved, that our daughter might be saved. It's our deepest longing. And so it is for God. In 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. 
Friends, hear this. God wants every one of his sons and daughters to be saved from his wrath. If you rewound uh, one chapter to Revelation 6, you'd see that the Lamb opens the first six seals of judgment on our world. Conquest, war, famine, death, and martyrdom. These, friends, are the tragic consequences of the curse in our world. But the greatest judgment of all is in that sixth seal. It is the wrath of the Lamb. Look at verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person, that means everyone, hid in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Because the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? Friends, can you, can you feel the terror of that final judgment? Can you, can you hear the, the cries of humanity who stand under the wrath of the Lamb? The most terrifying disaster to befall humanity is not conquest, war, famine, or death, terrible though they are. The most terrifying disaster to befall humanity is the righteous wrath of the Lamb. You know, so often uh, we think that it's the Father who judges and the Son who saves. But can you see here in Revelation 6 that it is the Son, the risen and returning Lord Jesus, who will one day come to judge the living and the dead? In chapter 7, verse 3, He will harm the earth with His wrath. Friends, please, though, know this, that though Jesus will come in judgment yet again, Judgment is not his heart's desire. Judgment is not his heart's desire. Isaiah 28, 21 says that judgment is actually God's strange work, his unnatural task. In Ezekiel 33, 11, God promises, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Friends, can you see, God will come in judgment. God will come in wrath. He will set this world to rights, but his heart's desire, his heart, his heart bleeds for that possibility, that hope, actually that certainty that one day he will save all of his children. That's what God wants for his children, and it's what he wants for us. I want them to be saved. You're here and, and you're not a Christian. I hope you realize that salvation isn't something that God just offers you and says, it's up to you. No, no, hear this very clearly. God wants you to be saved. It does not fill God's heart with joy to judge the world for the sins it deserves, but He will do it. But His deepest heart's desire is to see you saved. And as a loving Father, He will do absolutely everything to find you and bring you home. So, so in chapter 7, verse 1, he sends out four angels of the four corners of the earth to, quote, restrain the four winds of the earth, to hold back his own wrath. And in verse 3, those angels seal the servants of God on their foreheads. They, they mark God's children as those who will be shielded from his wrath. It's as if God orders a military strike against an evil nation that is deserving of it. 
But he also sends an attack team behind behind enemy lines. And he holds off from giving that strike order until that attack team extracts every one of his own people from that blast zone. God will send his angels to find, to search and seek out, and to seal and protect his own people. You know, I've read Revelation 7 so countless times, and I have sometimes wondered whether those four angels in these verses actually refer to you and me. The word angel, angelos, means messenger. And isn't that what we are? Are we not messengers who bring the gospel to the nations, who tell the world that Jesus wants them to be saved? Do we not have a message to proclaim that, that there is a way to escape the wrath of God? And is not our mission to find out and seek and find God's sons and daughters and save them from the coming judgment? Yes, friends, I have sometimes wondered whether these four angels refer to us, for this is exactly the mission that we have received. I've said it countless times, we planted Cross and Crown five years ago for this reason, not to be a theological battleship that shoots other churches, not to be a Christian cruise liner that keeps the believers comfortable. No, we plan to cross and crown to be a missional life raft that goes into the world, finds God's children, and tells them, hey, it's time to go. You see, friends, what does God want for all of his sons and daughters? What does God want for us as we're five years old and still growing up? He says, I want them to be saved. Every last one of them. And in verses 4 to 8, that's exactly what he does. The 12,000 people from the 12 tribes of Israel is just a figurative way of saying, not one child left behind. Every son and daughter saved. Isn't that beautiful? And here's the crazy thing about when you read Revelation 7. When you read Revelation 7, you're peering into the future. You're seeing what God promises that he will do. You're looking at the future world and reality as God will bring it about. But here's where it's even more trippy. Though that is true, he is already working out that future now. He's already started doing today what he will achieve in eternity. You might not realize it, but there are people sitting here in this room whom God has saved through our church's witness. Over the last five years, the angels have been searching for, sealing and saving numerous people who we know and love. I remember, after Easter, sitting in a cafe, Johnson Sue looks at me, tells me it all makes sense now. Because Jesus rose, I can rise with him. I remember sitting on the steps with Andy Yang two years ago, looks at me and tells me, I believe that Jesus died the death that I should have died. I remember hearing that three people trusted in Jesus after our Christianity Explored course. I remember baptizing, confirming James Wei, Ali Lee, Yung Go, Jevin Liu, Aaron Ling. Dan Leong, Johnson Sue, Sarah Liu, Natalie Ling, Matthew Song, Lucy Yuan, Isabel Wen, Maggie Lee, Kelly Ng, Jody Lin, Natalie Nu, Henry Wu, Andy Ko, Annie Ko, Trisha Ung, Andy Yang, and Isaiah Italy. You, you pause and think about that for a moment, right? You just so it is easy to forget 
the goodness of what God is doing among us. Not because we are doing anything right, but because God is always in charge of his church. He's always out there saving his people. I have to think, yes, there are pains in growth, and there are challenges in, in, as we grow and welcome more people, but can I say, a more heartbreaking challenge to me would be is if we went five years and no one became a Christian at all. Wouldn't, wouldn't that just shatter you? But what a wonderful joy that God among us is already bringing about the future eternity that he promised we will enjoy. God looks at us and says, I want them to be saved. And that's exactly what he's been doing bit by bit in modest ways for our church since 2019. But can I say God doesn't just want us to be saved? No, he says something more than that. He says, I want them to belong. You know, when I read Revelation 7 the first time, it's what gripped me most about this vision all those years ago. It's a bit embarrassing to admit it, but let me share it with you. But for much of my life, I've often felt like I don't belong anywhere. Like some of you here, I'm the son of migrants. And one of the unique experiences of being a third culture kid is you don't really fit anywhere, do you? In one culture, apparently I wasn't Asian enough. Another culture, I wasn't Aussie enough. Wherever I went, I just didn't belong. But here in Revelation 7, I saw a compelling picture, and we see a compelling picture, where people from every tribe, every nation, every people, and every language, all of us truly belong. Isn't that remarkable? And this has been God's plan right from the beginning of time. In Acts 17, the Apostle Paul writes, From one man, Adam, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. And when God blessed Abraham to be the father of Israel, he also blessed him. Father Abraham had many sons to be the father of many nations. So so we come to Revelation 7, and what we see is actually just a culmination of God's plan right from the beginning to unite people from every tribe and nation together as one. And when I saw this vision, I thought to myself, yes, there is a place where I can belong. There is a place where old and young, men and women, people from every tribe and culture can call home. It is controversial to say, but if you look at our world right now, our world wants to divide us by our differences. Our world wants to divide us by our differences. For those of you who are familiar with such things, the standpoint theory and intersectionality together both claim that the combination of our social traits defines our worth. And only someone who shares my class, my ethnicity, my gender, my status has the right to tell me anything. So our world says wrongly that apparently if I'm a middle-aged white male, I'm forever an oppressor with no right to speak into any matter at all. But if I'm a person of color as I am, I'm forever a victim with rights to unlimited retribution. Now, while there are legitimate historical injustices that that are there, can you see that what our world does is take all these things that are about us and pit us against one another? They say your differences ought to divide you. But that is not the picture that we find here. 
For the God who created and designed and ordained and intended our differences doesn't divide us by them. No, he sees them all beautifully and unites us in something far greater. He unites us in his son. Do you realize that's the beauty of church? That is an increasing picture of people who are together for no other reason than the Lord Jesus. Because look at what these people from every tribe, every nation, every people, and every language are doing. In verse 10, they're gathered around the throne singing, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Think about that. Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. The Lamb who judges is the Lamb who saves. And verse 14 tells us how he saves. He saves us by his own blood. Friends, can you see the picture that John is painting? The blood of the Lamb saves us from the wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb who comes to judge us is the same Lamb who gives his life to save us. And just like the angel in Exodus 12 passed over the homes that were marked by the blood of an animal, The angels in Revelation 7 will pass over the servants who are sealed by the blood of the Lamb. Notice, friends, it is that blood that unites us, not ours. The angels don't just seal the 12 tribes of Israel, ignore all the Gentiles. The the angels don't come and seal only men or only women, only old or only young. Only Asian or only Australian. No, the angels come and they seal God's children from every tribe, every nation, every people and every language. Our world wants to divide us by our blood. But the blood that covers our sins is stronger than the blood that flows through our veins. It is the blood of our Savior that makes us one. It is His blood that makes us belong. Galatians 3.27, for those of you who are baptized, washed in Christ, have been clothed with Christ. So there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. On the 15th of January, uh, 2009, Uh, U.S. Airways flight uh, 1549 hit a flock of geese and all things equal would have crashed and been destroyed. But at the last minute, uh, Captain Chesley Sullenberger miraculously landed that plane on the Hudson River. Now think about this. The 150 passengers on that flight may have known the person sitting next to them, if even that. But after that day... Those 150 passengers were bound together, united in one reality. They were all saved on that flight. That is what defines and marks their life from that day forward. And it is the deepest reality and experience that they share with all 149 other passengers. And so it is for us. We may come from different ethnicities, backgrounds and cultures. We may only know one other person next to us, sitting next to us right now, if even that. And yet, all of us share that one same experience that marks, defines, and recommences and redeems our life because all of us, friends, were saved on that day on that cross. 
We belong together because we've been all saved by the one Christ. To adapt the words of that great hymn, we are one, but we are many. And from all the lands on earth we come. We share a king and we sing with one voice. I am, you are, we are. Can't make it rhyme, but we're forgiven. You know, over the last five years, we've been so blessed to have more people join us around this throne of Jesus. Back at my parents' house, it was a little bit sad, but genuinely a church, right? 20 people gathered around the throne worshipping Christ as King. It's beautiful. Isn't it wonderful now in our church we have people under the age of two and over the age of 60? What a blessing to be together in Christ. Isn't it wonderful? We have welcomed into, and I hope I don't miss anyone, this is, the, this is the risk of doing such things. We have welcomed into our church people from all sorts of different cultures. Aussies, Filipinos, Koreans, Vietnamese, Chinese people, too many of them. Uh, that's okay, it's my, my people, I can say that. Uh, Sri Lankans, Indians, Indonesians, Scots, even Queenslanders, I mean, they're everywhere. <laughs> what a blessing to be together in Christ. We've seen, now this one's a strange one to say, but I think it's true. I praise God for this one. We have seen men and women love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and not treat each other with fear and suspicion and separate along those lines. It is the cultural pressure of our time that if the church gives in to, we will say that we'll play it safe and men and women just don't talk at all. And we end up saying, yes, we're one together, irrespective of our race or cultural age. But when it comes to men and women, we're not together. I praise God for the fact that I think we've done well. And I think we want to keep doing that well. What a blessing to be together in Christ. As I said before, it takes about two years to feel like you belong in a new church. And can I say, however long or short a time you've called Cross and Crown home, God wants you to truly belong in this church. And God wants you to truly belong around His Son. You may not know this, you come to church and it's hard, isn't it, on a Sunday? As we were saying the other day, people who sit all the way over there where David Ng is sitting, you know, the, the, right, the hard right over there, and then you've got the hard left over there, purely in terms of physical seating. Uh, and you, just ne- you never know who's on the other end. And do they know my name? I don't know anyone's name. It's a little bit awkward. Can I tell you, um, the most important thing of all is that God knows your name and that you're united with him around his son. And with that said, can I say, every Monday morning our staff team gets together and one of the first things we do is talk about the people we talked with, the people we spoke with. We go through those newcomers' cards and we go, who's new at church? What do you know about them? Can we pray for them in some way? Yes, the most important thing is that the Lord knows your name. But can I say as a church, we want to know your name as well. However long or short a time you may call Cross and Crown home, we pray that this might be a place where you can belong around the throne of Jesus. What a wonderful privilege that our church is looking just a little bit more and more like this picture here in Revelation 7, where all of us belong. Can I say, though, God doesn't just want us to be saved and to belong He finally wants us to be loved. It is a cold, hard fact that the world is cruel and life is hard. I hate to say it. I hate to be the one to bring to be the bringer of bad news, but life is not a Lego movie where everything is awesome. 
Psalm 90 says about our lives, even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Sadness and struggle and sorrow. That's how the psalmist describes the reality of our life. Those six seals in Revelation 6, they are a brutally honest picture of our world, aren't they? We look around our world and we see Ukraine, Israel, Afghanistan, and we see conquest, war, famine, and death. And some of us don't even need to look overseas. We just look at our own lives. We've seen conflict destroy old friendships. Sickness take the lives of those we love. Can I be honest that the truth is this, especially for those of us who follow Jesus? Life in this world is probably so much harder. After all, didn't Jesus say in Matthew 10, you will be hated by everyone because of my name? Without that fifth seal of persecution of Christians, it is the cost of discipleship. And John, the the apostle who saw and wrote this vision, was living that persecution. He was paying that cost. He was exiled in Patmos for his faith in Jesus. It is a cold, hard fact that the world is cruel and life is hard. And if, if you're a parent here, and you see your kids go through hardship and suffer, it's hard, isn't it? Because you love them. And out of love, some part of you just wants to jump in, take their place and shield them so they don't have to suffer. You just want to hold them close and and, and protect them from the pain. And you think, is that not what Jesus did for us? Did he not take our place so that we don't have to die? Did he not shed his blood so that we don't have to be judged? Did did in love, did he not shield us from the wrath of God? And will he not in that same love shield us from the pain of this cruel world and this hard life? Notice in Revelation 7.14, the people gathered from every tribe and nation around the throne, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. These people around the throne, they're, they're us. They're all of us Christians who've suffered in this life for following Jesus as our Lord. Following Jesus is hard. But after all of our suffering and after all the hardships of life, look at what God promises us in verse 15. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb, who is at the center of the throne, will shepherd them. He will guide them to the springs or the waters of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I can't get enough of reading those verses. God looks at his children. He sees our suffering and he says, hey, in the end, When you're all grown up, it's not just that I want you to be loved. You will be. I will cover you in love. I will shield you in love. I will protect you in love. And one day, you will be so loved that you will know no pain. 
You know, 800 years before this moment, the prophet Isaiah looked forward to that very same day. And this is what the Lord God spoke through Isaiah. This is what he said 800 years before this moment here that John was writing in the first century AD. Isaiah says, or God says through Isaiah, For I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating, for I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be no longer heard in her. Don't you long for that day? Don't you long for that world? A world that is everything Eden was meant to be. A world in which the lamb under whose wrath we once stood and the lamb whose blood was shed for us is now the lamb who will shepherd and guide us forever. What a beautiful picture of an eternity in which we are loved by God forever. That's what God wants for us. You know, for all the joys and the fruit and the celebration and the results and the outcomes of planting cross and crown, I I know that for some of us here, these years have not been easy. The disappointment of making and then losing friends. The sadness of feeling lost and forgotten in a growing church. That, That deep pain of loneliness and friendlessness. Some of you here have allowed me into your lives to sit with you in those moments as you cry, to listen to your stories of hurt, abuse, betrayal, and loss. And for some of you, I've walked with you through the death of people you love. The world is cruel, and life is hard, isn't it? But through all the suffering and hardship of these five years as well, have we not also in some measure experienced something of God's love and comfort? In 2 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul writes, God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I have seen so many of you here through your own heartache, comfort others whose hearts are as broken as yours. And in that moment, share in the comfort of God. As we have wiped away each other's tears, we have reminded each other that one day, God will wipe the final tear from every eye. You know, back in 2018, when people asked me, what do you want this church to look like in the future? I didn't really have an answer. But God always did. He always knew what he wanted for us, and it hasn't changed one bit. You see, if only I knew what God wanted for us, then I would have been able to say to everyone who asked, oh, that's easy. When God, when our church is all grown up, God wants us to be saved, to belong, and to be loved. 
And when I look back at the last half decade, isn't that what God has already started to do and to be at work in and among us? Hasn't he been at work in saving us, in gathering us, in loving us? And haven't we in our church family seen sinners saved, outsiders welcomed, and the brokenhearted healed? No, we need to stop. We need to reflect. And we need to thank the God who is worthy of our praise for starting to make us everything he wants us to be. And can I say, friends, as we look to the next five years, God's heart is still the same. That, that picture of the future still sets our priorities for the next season of church life. God still wants his children to be saved, which is why this year we want to grow consistently, not for our own sake, but so that more people might be saved from the coming wrath. And we still want to aim to plant that second congregation, hopefully next year, not as a cruise liner for comfort or just to accommodate more people, but as a life raft for salvation. And God still wants his children to belong, which is why this year we're taking this year to think deeply into what it means for men and women to relate as brothers and sisters. Our annual conference with Rob and Claire Smith and Susan Arn is all about God's good design for men and women together. And our weekend away is there for all of us to grow closer in fellowship as a family. Put those dates in your diary and don't miss out. And God still wants his children to be loved, which is why this year we're starting new ministry teams to help us better care for one another. Our catering team will extend hospitality by providing food, not only for church events, but for people in need like young mums. And through our care team, we want to practically help those of us in acute or chronic suffering. And as we think about that relationship between men and women as well, we want to address and, and deal with that, un, that painful tragedy and awful evil of family violence as well. You see, friends, we don't just want Cross and Crown to be a church planting network that's reaching our city for Christ. That's good. We want that. But it's not just that. We don't just want Cross and Crown to be a multi-ethnic family where people from every nation and culture and tribe can belong. Again, good though that is. No, we, we also want Cross and Crown to be a safe refuge, to be a home where the vulnerable, the victim, the brokenhearted can experience the love of Jesus. So, fast forward another five years. Where will we be? What will we look like when we're 10 years old? I don't know. The monkey with two symbols is still there. But whatever we might look like, I pray under God that we might be one step closer to this. I pray that yet more sinners will have been saved, that yet more nations will belong, and that yet more sufferers will be loved. I pray that we might be a church just a little bit more, where yet more people from every tribe are together, worshipping Christ as King. Wouldn't that be something to pray for? Wouldn't that be something worthy of us to aim for? Wouldn't that be something worthy to labor for under God, knowing Jesus reigns over all of it? Friends, in a moment, we're going to sing and then we're going to hear from a number of people in our church family, but it would be wrong for us to take this moment to stop and reflect for us as a church family without having a moment to respond to it. On your seats or the seat next to you, you'll see a card there. 
I'm going to steal one of those cards from Joe right now. Um, and that card is an opportunity for you to respond in some way. It's a commitment to pray. You see, if we want to be a church that is doing these things, a church where people are saved, where they belong and are loved, then, then we need to be intent to do these things. We need to be praying for these things. We need to be on our knees for these things because only Jesus can bring about what we long for. We want to invite all of us in this moment, just take a moment to write down the names of two people we're praying will find life in Jesus this year. And then stick it in your Bible. Stick it on your fridge, next to your laptop monitor, next to your monitor or on your laptop. Put it wherever you want. Just somewhere which will remind you that we need to do these things together. Ask one another, who are you praying for will come to find life in Jesus this year? It could be a son or a daughter a mother or a father, a friend, someone with whom you've lost contact years ago. I'm going to give you a moment, just a minute to do that. Can I encourage you this afternoon, when you're at home in the cool of your air-conditioned room, (laughs) take this card out, and you haven't yet written two names on it, Take some time this afternoon to write those two names. If you have written those two names, take some time this afternoon to pray for those people. And why don't you shoot them a message? It doesn't have to be a Bible verse, though. It could be. It could just be to make contact yet again. Have them over for dinner. Create an opportunity, maybe even if not to speak the gospel, to show them the gospel in the loving relationships that you have with other Christians. Be intentional about these things. God has been kind. Just two Saturdays ago, I was at a Good Life in Box Hill. Someone smuggled me in with their weekend pass. When I was there, I heard, Adam? And I turned around and I saw someone who was a kid in my youth group, maybe 15 years ago. Massive. I think he lives at Good Life Box Hill. Ah, oh, the brick with eyes, right? It's just insane. And I was like, my gosh, you're, you're huge. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Are you still going to church? Oh, and I haven't been for a while. Let me catch up. That's coming up soon. Please be praying for me about that. I've got that name down. Who is it for you that the Lord might put in your path and my place on your heart? Do not let the opportunities pass you by. Let me pray. God, we uh, take this moment, this day, to pause and to thank you. For you are so kind as you send out your angels into this world to seek and save the lost, to seal your people, to protect them from the coming wrath, to shield them from the judgment. But you do more than that. You bring them around the throne of the Lord Jesus. You bring them into your church. You bring them into your family. You bring them into here a safe refuge, a shelter from the storm. And you remind us, God, that one day, Well, right now we can experience something of your love, but one day we'll be so loved by you that we will know pain no more. God, for all the things that you've done through us, we commit these years into your hands and trust that you'll continue to work through us. Not for our own glory or not for our own sakes, God, but for the sake of your holy name. And so now, God, as we look to to eternity, fix our eyes on this vision of the future, And may that future shape and determine our priorities for the present. How we long, God, to see people from every tribe worship the Lord Jesus as their King, in whose name we pray. 
Amen.